How many of you want to know Christ as king in your life? So we've got Palm Sunday. I got a book. This is, this is an old Dr. Seuss book. I'm not going to read you the whole thing today, but it has this moment in it that's important, okay? It's about this little boy, and I'll read the beginning, and then we'll go through it. When I leave home to walk to school, Dad says, Marco, keep your eyelids up and see what you can see. But when I tell him where I've been and what, what I think I've seen, he looks at me sternly and says, your eyesight's much too keen. Stop telling such outlandish tales. Stop turning minnows into whales. Now what can I say when I get home today? All along, all the long way back to school, way to school and all the way back, I've looked and I've looked and I've kept careful track. Right? This is clearly Dr. Seuss. Amen. But all I've noticed except my own feet was a horse and a wagon on Mulberry Street. And it goes in to say, but there's nothing much to tell about a broken down wagon and a drawn horse. And so what if it's a zebra pulling the cart? What if it's not a cart, but a chariot? What if it's not a zebra, but a reindeer? And then, of course, you know, reindeers don't pull chariots, they pull sleighs, right? So, I mean, if you're going to tell a story, it's got to work together. But a, hmm, a reindeer and a sleigh, almost anybody could think of that. What if it was an elephant with a Maharaja on it, pulling a sleigh? But, hmm, probably if it's an elephant, it probably needs to be pulling a cart with a band on it. Big brass band. And after the band, maybe a little cart on the back with the guy sitting in it. And some giraffes next to the ring, the elephant. Because you're going to see this every day, aren't you? But now, what worries me, this is mulberry turns into bliss. And there's something I can't fix up. There was going to be a traffic mix-up. Look, we better have police escort. Maybe the mayor in a grandstand. And maybe an airplane and confetti. Okay, I'm going to hold it right there for a little bit. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, a, a, a magician doing tricks and a man with a 10-foot beard and... Then he gets home. I'm going to save the rest of that for a little later in the story. But this is Palm Sunday. And in fact, we sort of expect when the king comes, we're going to have a big to-do. Yes? You wouldn't expect on a donkey. You wouldn't expect just a quiet guy coming down and everybody doing this for him. You'd expect the confetti, right? We've all been to parades. They're work. And they're a big deal, and they're exciting to see and all that. But in the story of Palm Sunday is this text 
And we're going to quote this text. I just need to go through this, that, that if you want to know Christ as king, there's a couple of things that, he's go- that are going to happen in that thing, in that moment. And this is from chapter 9 of Zechariah. Now, some of you don't ever spend any time in Zechariah. It's okay. I've spent a lot of time in, Isaiah, in Zechariah. There's a verse in here that for a long time, a friend used to call me this. He, he used to call me God's red hot poker. And it comes from this line in chapter 3. It says, uh, is this man not a stick snatched from the fire? Or in other words, a red hot poker. Right? Because if you're a stick in the fire, you've got a hot end, right? Chapter 3. This is the judgment against the nations and the statement about the donkey. Okay? This is the message from the Lord against the land of Aram. Now, Aram is the land above, but also some of the family of God comes from the land of Padam Aran. That's Rebekah and them. We're spending time in Genesis. So that's where they're from, the city of Damascus. And the eyes of humanity, including all the tribes of Israel, are on the Lord. Doom is certain for Hamath near Damascus and for the cities of Tyre and Sidon, though they're so clever. Tyre has built a strong fortress and has made silver and gold and as plentiful as dust in the streets it is. But now the Lord will strip away Tyre's possessions and hurl its fortifications into the sea and it will be burned into the ground and the city of Ashkelon will uh, will see Tyre fall and will be filled with fear and Gaza will shake with terror, as will Ekron, for their hopes will be dashed. And Gaza's king, now that's a different place, will be killed and Ashkelon will be deserted. Foreigners will occupy the city of Ashdod, and I will destroy the pride of the Philistines, and I will grab the bloody meat from their mouths and snatch the detestable sacrifices from their teeth. Now I'm going to stop for a second and just say, This is kind of how most of us, in my experience of this, is exactly how we experience what we want the coming king to do. Judgment for them, mercy for me. Now, this is my famous, right? It's just like when you get passed on the highway and on the street and you want the policeman there right then. You want justice for them and mercy on me. But when the policeman's there for you, you want mercy but you want justice for them. This is what's going on. Justice for them. They've done wrong. This is what it means when a new king comes, right? Justice and everything goes the way you want it, right? When you're not the king. What happens when there's a new king? Does the new king start their own plan? Yes, they do. But here's here's this moment in Zechariah 9 that I find really important in the story. Right after they've had their sacrifices snatched away from them, then the surviving Philistines will worship our God. What? What? The judgment against them will end up with some of them worshiping and becoming part of this, and, and they'll become, are you ready? Like a clan in Judah. 
The Philistines of Ekron will join my people as the ancient Jebusites once did. What? When the new king comes, it's not just going to be us and him? No, it's going to be a whole bunch of people. Matter of fact, we've been talking about this about in, in Genesis. How in the world did Jacob get into the line of the Messiah? Here's the Jebusites. You know what they did? Do you remember the story of the Jebusites? The people came into the land coming out of Egypt, and they were starting to conquer everybody, and, and the Jebusites saw that, and they thought, we're in trouble. What we ought to do is pretend we're from a long way away. Let's get our oldest clothes, and we're going to go like we've traveled a long way, and we're going to get there, and we're going to make a treaty with Israel. And so they lied about where they were from. They said, oh, we're from a long way off. And Israel made a pact with them because they didn't want, they were only supposed to get rid of the people in the land, not the people outside the land. Why wouldn't you make friends with the people outside the land? You're not supposed to do anything to them. But the Jebusites were the people, they're actually in the list that was supposed to be destroyed. And here's the deal. The pact Israel made with the Jebusites stands. And God honored it. God actually used it to bring those people into the kingdom. So how did they get into the, into the people of God? They lied. How did Jacob get in? How did Jacob become the favorite son? He stole it. Now, if you're beginning to think about this and you're starting to wonder how this is justice and all of that as justice for them and mercy for me, because the problem with this is that everybody did something wrong. Now we have records of these wrongs, but this is the spot. I will guard my temple, just like the ancient Jebusites did. I will guard my temple and protect it from being invaded. I am watching closely to ensure that there are no foreign oppressors to overrun my land. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Okay, so now that the message turns to God's people who've already been included, right? Some of the enemies are included first. Philistines and Jebusites. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. That's what we want. We want a brand new king to be different. Righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble and riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Now here's the spot for Israel. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea, from, from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed it with blood, I will free your prisoners from a death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I want to say this. So if the Philistines and the Jebusites get included, and Israel's all victorious, but the problem with Israel is, is they've got all these armaments inside them, and they've been doing things 
the way that everybody has to do that. And the new king says, we're not, we're not going to war anymore. And all the weapons you've been creating and using, you, you don't get to use those either. Because when this stuff comes, it changes the world. Look, there's two things that I really want you to notice here. There's implications for these two things. The implications are, what happens when the people you think are enemies get included? Well, I'm not going to go to church with them. Well, you know, when you go to heaven, you don't get to pick which section of heaven you get to be in. (laughs) You get to be in the heaven section. It isn't us that gets to print the tickets of who gets in. I just need us to be aware of that, right? That the the people, when we get there, there will be some people we were sure that were going to be there that didn't really have any faith. They just looked good to us. And then there'll be those people that we thought, oh, there's no stinking way that person's ever getting in. And there they are. They'll be the greeter. (laughs) Second implication, our methods that we use on the way may not be completely God's methods. Are you ready for that? What if some of the, some of the actions and the way we do things are just human things that we're trying to do? The whole Great Society movement, the whole H.G. Wells uh, time machine where they come up with the perfect society, all of that stuff, all of those actions and that movement in human history is about humans trying to create the perfect society with humans and with human methods and all of those things. I don't know how else to say this. This is, this is the truth of the matter here. If we're going to create a completely new method of being society, it's probably going to have to have some different methods in it. We can't keep going around going, but we're in and they're not. My favorites get special treatment. I've been talking about this recently, haven't I? That God doesn't do this good and bad human thing the way we do. We use that to sort people. He goes, I made them all. I love them. Oh, that they would come to me and be saved. So we've got this large crowd coming and a king on a donkey. Not in this huge parade and to-do, but as he comes up the street, I swung around the corner and dashed through the gate. I ran up the steps. I felt simply great, for I had a story that no one could beat. And to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. But Dad just sat quietly calm. Just draw up your stool and tell me the sights that you saw on your way home. There was so much to tell, I just couldn't begin. Dad looked at me sharply and pulled at his chin. 
He frowned at me sternly from there in the seat. Was there nothing to look at? No people to greet? Did nothing excite you or make your heart beat? Nothing, I said, red as a beet, but a plain horse and a wagon on Mulberry Street. The, the world, the king that's coming is going to be so uniquely different. And in fact, it's started to come, and as that future begins to invade our present, but it, it just makes us question and change all our methodologies, not just some of them. We don't just come to church. We actually have to become different people. Or as Paul says in Philippians 3, Debbie read this last week, of course, and he listed all the reasons why everything he did, Paul, was such a great big deal. And he says this, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him, no longer counting my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Do you want to know that? Do you want to experience the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead? Here's, here's the little uh, manufacturer's warning on the side of it. I want to suffer with him and sharing in his death that one way or another I will experience that resurrection from the dead. Do you want to, you want to experience the power that raised Christ from the grave? You might just have to die a little with him. You might have to give up your desire for the big parade. Your desire to be the linchpin in the new society. He says it this way. My yoke is, my yoke and my burden are light. But they're not non-existent. Do you understand what I mean by that? When you come to Christ, there are some requirements. If, if you're from Philistine or from Jebusites, you've got to get in somehow, by hook or by crook. Just find your way in. In some ways, as, as a woman once said to Jesus, I've come for something. And he says, well, but, but the gift of God is not for the dogs. And he says, but even the dogs get scraps at the table. Find your way in. It's the most important thing ever. And, but you might have to be reformed religiously. That's what happened to the Philistines. All their sacrifices, all their high places, all of those things, they got to come down and you got to put yourself at the foot of the cross or, or you have to set everything at the altar and then cling to him. That's the first thing, his yoke is you follow him. And then there's the burden. 
I hate to say this. You know, there's a burden to being Christian. It means that you give up doing it just the way the world tells you to. So not just your religious practices, but what about your ethics and your processes in town and in the community and outward? And maybe you just stop doing it the way that just feels good all the time. Sure, we love a parade, don't we? We love a parade. I'm sure there's some people that don't love a parade. Is there anybody here that doesn't love a parade? Okay, Are you, you don't love a parade? I saw that back there. I, I kind of like a parade as long as I don't have to do any of the organization or any of the cleanup. If you just get to be a spectator, but the problem with being spectators in a parade is that when this new king comes, it's a participatory kingdom, not a spectator kingdom. Do you understand what I mean by that? You might think, I get to come to church and sit there and listen to that guy up front talk, and that's all I have to do. No. You have to be changed, too. Just like the guy up front has to be changed. Me too. This is a new kind of king. And he comes in a different way. And if we want to be part of that, then we need to submit to the process he sets forth. A king on a donkey. Royalty on a small miniature beast of burden. Just a horse and a cart on Mulberry Street. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for palms and people that were excited for a coming king, people that had hope. Lord, help us submit to that hope and go through the change that they needed. In your precious name, Lord, amen. amen.